Welcome to 1111. So glad that you are here today. Yes, give yourself a hand for being here. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, during this whole, the whole pandemic deal, we've had all these phrases and terms that have taken on an entirely different meaning, if you've noticed that. For example, social distancing. I always thought that was an introvert's dream, right? Just, just to kind of distance yourself from people and parties and live in peace. No, it means something t- entirely different these days, right? Then you have, uh, what's another one? Um, you have the, the bubble. I thought bubbles were something that you used to entertain your kids and grandkids in the backyard during the summer. No, bubble means something entirely different now. Um, flattening the curve. I thought that was a new diet, right? to flatten your curve if you got overweight. Now a lot of us need to flatten the curve. No, it means something entirely different these days. So we have all these new terms and phrases that are out there. And I've been using a a simple phrase. It's not original to me, but the ideas I put into it are a little different. And that is this, and that is that ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. And we are right now in our country, in our culture, Uh, in a war of ideas. Uh, This week I was talking to a couple of friends of mine uh, from different countries, and they have come here to immigrate to the United States. And they have been a part of countries that have caved in to what I've been talking about. They've caved into this neo-Marxism. They've caved into the socialism. And it has literally destroyed their freedoms and destroyed their cultures And as immigrants who've just been in the United States for about five, six years, they see the same thing happening here, and they can't believe their eyes. So I've been trying to encourage all of us here to do our own research, to check it out, and to see what many people are saying about this this issue and about the dangers, I believe, of neo-Marxism slash socialism. So three more people I could recommend to you here today. One would be Coleman Hughes. Another would be Milton Friedman, and you can check out his little brief uh, video on YouTube called I Pencil. Crazy, he talks about a pencil, but it's really good. And then the third would be my man Soren Kierkegaard. He emphasized the importance of individuals and individualism. So if you'll notice the people I've recommended over the last uh, several weeks come from all different stripes and political backgrounds and religious backgrounds. Some of them are religious, some of them are atheistic, but they all can see the danger, the clear and present danger of neo-Marxism and socialism in our society today. So uh, I would want to encourage you to practice social distancing from socialism because I don't think it's helpful to you, it's not helpful to our country, and it definitely will not allow for an environment where the gospel of Jesus Christ can flourish. So, As we get ready for Tuesday, I would encourage you to do what a friend of mine said, read, pray, and vote. Read the Bible, pray, and vote your conscience, okay? I know a lot of you have probably already done that, but if you've not exercised your right uh, as an American and as a citizen here in our wonderful country. Um, At the same time, at the same time, I've noticed this. I, I thought about this this week. You know, when George W. Bush was president for eight years, that eight years did not make me a better Christian. I didn't. 
Didn't make me a better Christian, didn't make me a better father. When Barack Obama was president for eight years, his presidency did not make me a better pastor, did not make me a better husband. I mean, it, it didn't. So I think a lot of times we put way too much faith of who's in the White House and we put too much hope in our political, what we perceive to be political saviors. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, Ice Cube is a rapper and actor. He's been getting a lot of play lately. And I like what Ice Cube said. He, he was quoting his dad. He said, you know, my dad always taught me that no matter who gets elected on Tuesday, we all have to get up and go to work on Wednesday. So I like that. I like the pragmatism uh, in that statement. So let's get up, let's get practical, and let's go to work. Um, years ago, it's going to work. I was uh, taking a break. I wanted to get something to eat. And there used to be a Whole Foods, you know, near us, right across the street. And for some reason, I don't know why, I, was, I, I drove over there and I parked my car literally so close to the front doors, I was almost in the produce section. And I was doing something that's really rude, and I hate when people do it, other people, but I do it and it's okay. I was on my cell phone the whole time in the grocery store. I was talking to my brother in Dallas. And I was there and I was getting something quick to eat, maybe some kale or some yogurt and because if you eat kale and, and yogurt and do yoga you're going to live forever you're going to beat that death thing so anyway so I'm there just talking cruising around and I'm, I'm in I'm in the store four minutes and I come back out of the parking lot and I look at my car and I see that the wind, windshield's been smashed oh my goodness I look at the back it's gone my my laptop case is gone and, and, and most importantly, I had in my case that day, I don't know why, I had a letter. I don't save a lot of stuff, but I had a letter from Mike Judge, a personal letter to me. Mike Judge is the guy that uh, created the cartoon Beavis and Butterhead and King of the Hill. And for some reason, I had that letter, and, and, and the letter was gone. So the letter was gone, my case was gone, my computer was gone. And I was just, man, I was just so angry and so mad. Four minutes, that was it. Maybe that was the cosmic justice I had being on the cell phone. I was checking out. I don't know. But, but, the, but there's, a, there's a bad feeling about being robbed, isn't there? I mean, I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here today, but I would say all of us have been robbed before. Maybe someone stole something from your dorm room or from your house or from your apartment. Maybe someone stole in your car or they snatch and grab like they did out of my car. But most all of us here would probably raise their hand and say, yeah, I know what it's like to be ripped off. I know what it's like for someone to steal from you. And when someone steals from you, you know, you, you feel, you know, a little bit of vengeance. I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to get that person. I'm going to find out who did it. You feel that. Um, you feel, you know, vulnerable. You know, how can I stop it, you know, from happening again? What can I do to protect myself? That's a feeling. And you also feel violated. You know what I mean? You feel violated. You feel exposed. And I think as I, as I look back over this year, 2020, and I can't believe it's about to come to an end. It's been such a banner year. But as we look back at 2020, we kind of feel like this year has robbed us, right? 
it in a sense ripped all of us off. I mean, the thousands and thousands of people that have lost their life. And then others of us who have lost life as we know it. You know, no senior year for a lot of seniors in high school and college. No senior prom, right? Stuff like that. You can't visit people who are in the hospital, those who are battling life-threatening diseases like cancer and other things. You can't go and see them. Weddings and funerals and parties and life as we know it, it's just simply not the same. And this pandemic has kind of exacerbated everything. So it's easy for us to feel that this year we've all experienced collectively a sense of loss or that we have been robbed. Now, Jesus talked about robbery. And he talked about theft. But he talked about it a lot of times on a very personal level. And today I want to read you a passage that you may have heard before, you may not have, but it talks about Things in our life that rob us, that steal our energy, steal our power, and steal our joy. Look at John chapter number 10, verse 10. John 10, 10. Jesus said, the thief comes to only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief, the thief's purpose is to take away life. Christ's purpose is to give life. Now in this context, scholars believe that Jesus was referring to the people and teachers and prophets who came before him, maybe some of the religious leaders of the day, that look squeaky clean on the outside, but were filled with hate and dirt on the inside. And he was saying, these people are robbers, they're thieves, they're, they're you know, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, but they're stealing from you and they're robbing from you. So the question I want to ask you today, and I ask myself the same question, is this, is who is stealing from you? Or what in your life are you doing that's killing you and threatening you and can potentially destroy your life? I think about a friend of mine I met some 30 years ago. I'll call his name Charles. That's not his name. But Charles was a great guy. He was a very gifted guy. He was a cool-looking guy. He had charisma. He had a successful career. But Charles couldn't stop using drugs. He couldn't stop it. So I spent time with him, and I prayed with him, and I worked with him. And I got other friends at our church to pray with him and to work with him and spend time with him. And many of them pulled him out of some really ugly hell holes here in our city and, and, and again, he'd get back on his feet, he'd get back in business, and he would be successful, and he'd have great relationships, and he would be clean. But he kept going back to this addiction, back to this drug, over and over again. Three years sober, crash. Five years, crash. Seven years, crash. Until about, oh, I don't know, eight or so years ago, 
this addiction took my friend's life. After all of the people, all the loved ones in his life, all the people in his church, all the people in his support group, it took his life. Addiction is a thief. Addiction will steal and destroy your life. There's also other thieves in our life. Anxiety and fear is a major problem in our world today. We live in a world that's so uncertain, that's so insecure, that fear can engulf your life in such a way that your heart feels like it's pounding out of the chest and you're having a heart attack because you don't know what's going to happen next. I've talked about this in my own life. I started dealing with anxiety when I was a sophomore in high school, and it continued for many years of my life. I know what it's like personally to deal with that level of anxiety and fear and pain and to live in the what if. What if this happens? And what if that happens? And you stay awake at night every single night, catastrophizing, picturing the worst case scenario. And anxiety can be a, a thief and can steal and take away your life. Resentment. It's another one, isn't it? Resentment. Resentment's a thief. Holding on to a grudge, holding on to an anger, we think that's going to give us power over that person. If I can just hold on to it, if I can somehow, some way, get back with them and let them experience the pain that I've experienced. And you hold on to resentment. And you hold on to that anger. And it can wreak havoc in your life. Someone said that holding on to resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. But all these are thieves and robbers in our our life. And then also what tends to compound this situation, I think, as far as theft and robbery and stealing, is what I like to call the shadow voice. The voice inside of your head that says, you're not going to make it. You don't measure up. No one sees you. You need to quit. You need to cave in. You're a failure. You can't get up this time. You can't ask for forgiveness again. And it's that shadow voice that plays in our mind, and our heart that can literally steal us and rob us of joy and life. Augustine said this in his epic autobiography, The Confessions. He said, my sin was this. He said, I look for pleasure, beauty, and truth not in Christ, but in myself and in his, and in his other creatures. And the search led me to pain confusion, and error. Think about an old high school football announcer. He was commentating on a game and 
guy got the ball around the end and was just breaking away. He was just running down the sidelines. And the announcer's like, he's at the 40, he's at the 35, he's at the 30, the 25, the 20, the 15, the 10. He may go all the way. Oh, he falls down right at the five-yard line. He fails to score. What happened? He was a victim of self-tackleization, right? Self-tackleization. And I thought about that in, in light of this passage, in light of the things that rob us of life and rob us of joy. Many times we're a victim of self-tackleization, whether it's caving into an addiction or to anxiety or to resentment or listening to that shadow voice. Some things in our life, circumstances, we cannot control, but we can control our response. And many times, instead of blaming other people from stealing from us and robbing from us, we rob from ourselves by our choices that we make. You're thinking, wow, that's great news. I'm glad I came to church today. No. Hey, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The deal is this. If we don't really understand what's going on, if we don't come to grips with the things in our life that are stealing from us and robbing from us and potentially destroying us, then we will not know how to appropriate and appreciate the cure. And we're going to get more into the cure next week. But let's, let's listen to what we can do today. Look at John 10, verses 7 through 8. Let's look at the verses that preceded John 10, 10, and see what Jesus said. It's a clue, I think, to help us deal with self-destructive tendencies and allowing these things to rob us of the life that God has for us. Here's what Jesus said. He said, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in, they will go out, and they will find pasture. Jesus goes on to say in the rest of the chapter, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so the word picture here that Christ is talking about during the time where he lived, where you had shepherds and sheep, and they had their herds, and they had their little pastures they would stay in and live in, many times there was not a gate there. And so what the shepherd would do was that he would lie down, and he would sleep right there at the entrance of the field of the pasture in order to protect the sheep. Jesus said, I'm that kind of shepherd. I'm the kind of shepherd, I'm the kind of pastor who lays down his life for his sheep, for his people. And look what he said. He said, those who follow me and know me, they will refuse to listen to the voice of the thief. So what do we do to quell that shadow voice? What do we do to start breaking free from the addiction, from the resentment, the anger, the anxiety? We refuse and choose. We refuse 
and choose. We refuse to listen to the thieves. We refuse to listen to the shadow voice that says you can't get up, that you're a failure, that you need to quit. We refuse to listen and to believe those lies in that voice. It's like Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, we choose to live not by lies. We live not by lies. And what I've discovered is this is a daily process. This is a daily battle for us. It's a daily battle to refuse to listen to the lies, to reject the lies, to reject the shadow voice, and to choose to listen to the good shepherd, to choose to listen to Christ because he is the only one that can speak life into our hearts and our minds. And the result, as we see in this passage, is that we will find pasture. So when we listen and choose to listen to Christ, listen to his word about us, listen to his truth that he's speaking to us, then we will have pasture. That means we will have rest, we will have peace in the midst of the storm. That's what he promises us. You know, it's interesting the word life here in the passage. As you look at the New Testament, there are three, at least three Greek words for life. There's bios, which is, means you know, biological life, just living as a human being on planet Earth. There's also the psyche, which stands for uh, the word life that stands for our, our sense of self. But then there's a third word that's used for life in the New Testament, and that's the word zoe. Let me hear you say zoe. Zoe. Say it there in your living room. Zoe, right? Zoe. And zoe is God's kind and quality of life. And in this passage, Jesus is saying, listen, the thief has come to take away life. I have come to give you zoe, God's quality of life. Or as he said in John 3, 16, Right? Whoever believes in him will have eternal zoe. And it's not just life after death. It's life right now. It's God's quality of life. It's the resurrected life of Christ living inside of you and living inside of me. And we have to appropriate his life. We have to trust that his life is now in us if we've chosen to follow him. He offers that to us. Life. Life. His life, his truth versus the lies and the deception of the enemy and the thief. What will you choose to do? I'm going to choose like a lot of us have chosen here in the room today, I'm going to choose to listen and to love the one who has laid down his life for me. I'm going to refuse the shadow voice, 
the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm going to refuse that voice, refuse that path. And I'm going to choose by his grace and his strength to listen, to love the one who laid down his life for me. Yeah.